Well, good morning, church family. And to those who are watching online, I want to extend my greetings to you as well. Uh, this morning, we're going to take a little bit of a detour from our Proverbs series. I know they said Proverbs, and I looked for a proverb, but, but for this topic, I think there is a better section for me to address this topic from, because we are in a um, advancing the mission kind of a season, and this season always kind of brings us full circle back again to, you know, why has God called us to be a church here in this Kingsville area, and how did he kind of locate us here, and how did he work in our lives during that season, and since that season, since that, and so uh, it seemed to me that there was a, a really good text that we could look at in the Psalms. Next week, we'll be back in the Proverbs from Psalm 78, verses 1 to 8. And we want to, this morning, look at proclaiming God's wonders. We want to proclaim the great deeds of our God. We want to remember the testimonies of who he is. Because that helps, that helps us in knowing uh, not only what he wants us to do, but gives us desire and power, confidence, hope. Uh, endurance to continue to really pursue and follow hard after him. So uh, this morning, the big idea that we're going to look at is remembering God's truth and wonders promotes faithfulness and hope in God. And so if you, if you find yourself kind of losing faith, uh, losing hope, not really consistent in following through one of the things that we're going to be talking about today is uh, freshly remembering what God has done, reflecting on what he's done. So if you'll join me in prayer, I want to pray for us and for our time. Lord, as we look into your word, um, it's very tempting for us to feel like uh, if something is familiar, we're already familiar with it, we've already heard it before, it's very easy for us to dismiss that and to kind of check out and to not really engage in fresh ways that you want to remind us of something or maybe even open up our, our, our mind and our hearts. And so, Lord, we, we want to pray that you would help us to be eager to hear your truth and that you would remind us, Lord, of how... Uh, time after time, you've met us in our desperate need. You've shown us a direction to go. You've wowed us and awed us with miraculous uh, ways that you've come through and provided for us. And so, Lord, give me grace to communicate your word faithfully. Uh, help me to, uh, to point to you, Lord, in this time so that we would walk away understanding how great you are, how worthy of praise you are and how great a future you have and a hope for us as we, as we continue in serving you in this life. And so I just ask for your, your blessing on your people and for those who are listening online. Lord, if there's ones who don't know you, Lord, would you open their hearts to see what a gracious and great God you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 78. Psalm 78 is uh, 72 verses long, I think. And uh, in that section, uh, there's a, a psalmist, Asaph, who was around the time of David. He was a, a worship leader. He, was a, uh, he, he wrote scriptures. He wrote some of these songs that we, that we sing. And uh, he was talking about the people of Israel, kind of a walking through history from the time that the people of Israel were in Egypt until the time of David the king. And as you read that, it's pretty straightforward. You know, you're kind of reading through and you're seeing, okay, the people of Israel, they got hardened hearts again. They're stubborn. They're rebellious. And God rescues them again. And God's gracious and merciful to them. And in this first section, uh, we're going to go through eight verses today. And we're going to look at three things. But I think the message from these three pieces, the three points that we want to make is to recall, to retell, and to remind ourselves to recall something, to retell it, and to remind yourself of it. And so I'm going to start off here in verse 1. It says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. 
things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. So first of all here, I want you to look in verse 3. It says, these are things that he says we're going to talk about that you've heard these things and you've known these things and your fathers told you about these things already. And I don't know what it is about that, that uh, when we hear something for a second or third time, we, we tend to think, I already know that. Do I really have to listen to this again? Because I already know that, you know. And you and I uh, have seen that in our own hearts, but we've seen it in our kids, you know. We've seen it in, you know, our friends. We, we see, you know, we want, we want to check out. And, and I, I don't know what it is about this, but even we as Americans, I think, and Western, you know, people, we always have to have something fresh and new. Like, don't want to see that movie again. Don't want to see that show again. Don't want to hear this, this text again because I've already heard this. And these are things that we're going to look at today that are going to actually change our hearts. And this is, this is a, a message to us, I think, that's going to help us to understand how valuable it is to hear something again and to pay attention to it one more time. He said, these are things that you've heard, you know, your parents told you this, and I want you to hear this again. Secondly, in verse 2, it's, he says, I'm going to open my mouth in a parable. I'm, I'm going to utter dark sayings from of old. So what he's about ready to say in, in Psalm 78, he says, you know, I'll give you a little glimpse ahead of time. There's a parable here and there's some dark sayings. And, you, and if you were to read, if we were to take the time to read all the verses, the 72 verses, we would say that, well, it, it seems kind of a straightforward, you know, Israel's bad and God's good. You know, Israel keeps fouling it up and God keeps being merciful to them. Doesn't look like the Proverbs that I see, you know, in the book of Proverbs, not some short little message. It's, it's kind of like a long, long, long litany of what's happened with the people of Israel. And dark sayings, I, I, I don't get it because it's kind of straightforward. But I think the psalmist, what he's saying and what commentators would, would say about this is, there's actually a, a truth here, a principle like you would get in a proverb and these dark sayings is there's something kind of hidden here that you're scratching your head. And it would come down to these two questions. It would come down to this is, why did these Jews not trust and obey God? Why didn't they trust and obey God? So many times he rescued them, he provided for them, he came through for them, and they just fall away and they don't trust him, they don't obey him. And the second question is, why is God so patient and merciful with these people? I mean, I would just do away with these people. I'm like, after all these opportunities that they have, they just keep needing to be rescued again, needing to be taken care of again, needing to be saved again. And again, we read in verse 1, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your hearts to the words of my mouth. You see... There's a lesson here for us because, you know, as, as we read through the Old Testament, as we read through the scriptures, you know, we could probably find ourselves saying, could my heart be that wayward? Is it possible that all that I know about God and all he's told me about himself and all that he's revealed and all, the, all those ways that he's shown himself to us, am I that wayward in heart? Do I drift away from God like, he, like these people did? And the answer is Yes. We know the right thing to do, and we, we're regularly straying away from it. We're regularly getting cold-hearted. We, we regularly forget about the things of God. And then we, we wonder, can God be still kind to me? Will God still rescue me? Will God still come through again? <laughs> With all that I know and all that I keep neglecting and falling away from, would God still be kind and gracious to me? And we're going to bring this to the end of the service when we, when we take our eyes and look, you know, how gracious God is. But it does remind me of Matthew's words, Matthew eleven fifteen, 15, where Jesus here and in several places in the, in the Gospels, he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And my question as we kind of look at this section is even if these things are familiar to us or we've read these before, we could even tell these things ourselves, 
you know, are we still inclined in to listen to what God's saying so that we might benefit from hearing it again? Because I think God wants to turn our hearts and our practice back to himself. And part of that's going to come if we recall his teaching. And then not only do we need to recall his teaching, but we need to retell the teaching. In verse 4 it says this, We will not hide them from our children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, and he command, which he commanded our fathers to teach them to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and rise and tell them to their children. You see, in verse 5, it says, he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel. When we think about, when we think about what we need to retell ourselves, what we need to keep thinking about, is we have two pieces here. We have a testimony and we have a law. We have truth that God has called us to. We have truth that God has told us. We have, we have commands that he has given to us. He's referencing here probably the Old Testament, especially the Ten Commandments, where God is telling his people, this is the kind of people I want you to be. This is how I want you to live out your life, by these truths. But he, didn't, he doesn't just give us the law. He gives us a testimony with it. And even before the Ten Commandments, God reminds him, I'm, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. You know, And he talks to them about how, the personal ways that he intervened for them. And he came alongside them. God wants us to retell his testimonies. God wants us to remind ourselves of his commands and his law. And it says in verse, later on there in verse five, it says, which he commanded to our fathers to teach them to their children, that the generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. You see, not only are we to remind ourselves of these truths, but if you're a parent, if you're a mom or dad, you know, there's four generations that I see in this section here. <laughs> you know, I'm to take these things and I'm to teach them to my children so that they could teach it to their children so the generation that comes after them might know, to my great-grandkids. Now, some of you know I have a lot of kids. I got seven kids. Two days ago... I had my 20th grandchild born, my 20th grandchild born, 16 great-grandsons, excuse me, 12 great-grandsons and, and uh, not great-grandsons, great-grandsons, 12 grandsons and eight granddaughters, and they're all a joy, they're all a joy, but that 20 is going to have their own little flock, and the exhortation here is... God's commanded fathers to teach them to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet to be born, and arise and tell them to their children. God's design was that this truth and that these testimonies keep getting passed down so that God's people know who he is and what he's done. That's God's design. And as a little aside, moms and dads, what are you teaching your kids? What do, you, what do you make as the, your, your highest important things that you want your that you're helping your kids to know, or you're encouraging your kids, you know, in, you know, and it's important that they learn, you know, their school information, the math, their English, you know, their writing, languages, all those things, and it's fun for them to learn, you know all the action figures, you know, that there are out there and all the details, you know, of their favorite heroes. But what about the heroes of God? What about the stories from the Bible? What about the testimonies of God? 
What about the testimonies of your own life? How God has worked in your life. Can they recite those things as quickly as they can recite, you know, uh, their favorite characters from the movies? And we can, we can comfort ourselves thinking, well, they go to Grace Kids and, you know, they're in youth ministry. And, but the Bible says that the, the command was to us if we're a parent. God has commanded the fathers to teach their children so that the next generation could know them and then the generation yet to be born. So I'm mapping out whatever time I've got here in life because... I'm not just responsible for making sure this gets to my kids. I want my kids to tell to their kids and their kids to tell to their kids. And that's, that's the heritage we have. That's the joy we have. But it's also the responsibility we have to retell the testimony of Jacob, the law of Israel. It says in verse 4, We will not hide them from our children, but will tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. That's our, that's our calling. Our calling is to tell them, our great God, this is who he is. This is what he's done. Those are the heroes I want my kids to have. That is the, the God that I want them to know. And as long as I have life, as long as I have breath, this is what I need to have on my tongue. Retelling. I think of the scriptures and I think about, in the New Testament, it talks about a choice disciple that the Apostle Paul, as he was traveling through, he said, man, I, I got to have this guy. And that was Timothy. And Timothy was taught, it says, by his mother and his grandmother. That's, that's who shaped Timothy's life. I think, of a test, I think of a testimony we had a couple of weeks ago. Amanda Voteman stood up here and shared the difficult life that she came from. But a friend, but also a grandmother, Sandy, who poured into her life and she got saved. And her life is transformed and changed. Because she was retelling the story. She was retelling, you know, the, the wonders of God. Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1, he said, I think it's right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as the Lord Jesus has made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Peter said, I'm going to remind you of these things. You know, I'm, at, I'm heading toward the end of my life. And the Lord's made it clear that I don't have a whole lot of time left. But, but I'm going to make sure that by the time I go, you know who this God is. You know what he wants. You know his ways. You know his wonders. That's, that's, that's a good goal for us, men and women. That's a good man. That's a good man. That's a good woman to do that. Because you know he had to tell him that a lot of times. And he says he's not, he doesn't feel bad about telling him again and again with the desire that they would be stirred up. So I want to tell you some stories. I want to brag on God a little bit. I want to tell you some great things that God has done for this church. And I want you to see how the calling and the mission and the testimony of a great God in the building, you know, was formed what we have today in our Grace Community Church family. So our mission statement back in the early 1990s was this. It said, or this is what we memorized. It was long, too. To radically transform our culture through lives and families that are consumed with a passion for God and his glory that results in a passion for the church and a passion for the lost. That was, our, that was our mission that we had before we ever had a building. That was what God had called us to be and to do. I want to read to you from a fact sheet that we put out in 1997. It says this. This was our time to build campaign we had. 
1982, a small team moved to Baltimore by faith in God's promises to begin a church that was birthed through prayer. Their heart was to, quote, attempt something so great for God that it was doomed to failure unless God be in it, end quote. Since that small beginning, God has indeed confirmed that he is, quote, in it by mightily blessing the people of grace and the ministry of Grace Community. Without the advantage and stability of outside support and consistent facilities, Grace Community Church has grown to an attendance that's larger than 98% of existing churches at that time. That's your, that's your grandparents. These are your spiritual grandparents. We were, we were never about building a building. That was never like, oh man, let's build a building. You know, We would have all like, liked to have kind of moved around that and kind of kept going. But as we sought God's heart on how to fulfill the passion and desires and the goals that it seemed like he was putting on our heart, we felt like it was necessary for us to have a space, a building. Now the church is you and I. This, we're the church. This is our church building. This is where we come together to accomplish what he's called us to be and to do in terms of building our people and preparing them to be sent into his mission. And I want to talk to you about the wonders of God at Grace Community Church and a testimony of, uh, of what he's done and how he gave us direction. In 1989, every Friday for three years, leading men devoted themselves to praying for the direction for the church's future land and building. Now, if you could get a group of men to meet before work for three years on Friday, I think that's a miracle, isn't that? I mean, I tried to use donuts and coffee and stuff to get them there, but you know, it had to be more than that because they can get that on the way anyway, you know, as they go past Dunkin' Donuts. And about that time, Pastor Les Bartley and myself were the pastors of the church, and we were praying along with those men, and we were, we were actually, I can remember the day, we were, at, we were on Cub Hill Road, and we were checking out a, 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 a plot of land that was seven or eight acres large, and as soon as I got there, you know, I could just sense the Spirit said, this is not the place. This is not it. You know, we walked around, looked at it and everything. And we said to the realtor, is there, isn't there anything else that you can, anything else that we could look at? And they said, you know, there's this, there's this piece of land on Bel Air Road in Kingsville, 16 plus acres. And I heard that that might be available. And, I, and inside of me, right away, the Spirit said, that's the land. That's your home. That's the place. And so that was... 1989. So he kept bugging me, like, do you want to see it? Do you want to see it? You know, do you want to put a bid in? You should probably get a bid in because that's going to go pretty fast. It's not going to be around very long. And I said, we don't have any money. We have zero. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> and so he stopped calling me. <laughs> Two years later, This, this Holy Spirit just prompted me one day and said, you need to check on that 16 plus acres. You need to check on that land, see where it's at. And so I called, we found the realtor, we tracked him down. And just about that time, there had been a, an, an offer that was being pursued and they had just dropped their offer and it was, on, it was, it was available again. In fact, it wasn't even, it wasn't even gonna be listed for a while. But the Spirit said, you need to jump, jump on this. So uh, we found out the contract fell through. It's available. So we, we, knew, we knew that, that a builder had been rejected, and he had offered $350,000, which sounds like zillions to me at that time. You know, He had offered $350,000 to buy the land in order to develop it for, for houses and so forth, and the owner had turned it down. So we prayed, and so we went to them and we said, hey, how about, would you take $300,000? And they said yes. They said yes. Now you say, how can you do that, Greg? Because you didn't have any money. You don't have any money. <laughs> you know, how can you do that? Well, just before that, in 1990, 
how God supplied for us was our church realizing we don't have any money, so how are we going to buy any land anyway? So we're praying, we're praying for land, we're praying for money so we can start this process. And so we were praying for $25,000. About that time, there was a family in our church who had started a business, run their business for a while, and they felt they needed to go back to Texas. And so they sold their business and gave 10% of that sale to the church and says, here's your money for your building campaign. $50,000, here you go. So our closing was going to be 1993 in May. We needed $90,000 in cash for our settlement on our land. Um, the closing was, was set, uh, and right as we were coming up, we knew that we didn't have enough money yet. We, we knew we weren't quite there yet, and so people were giving, and we were praying, and, uh, and they said, okay, we just found out that we need to do a survey on this land. There's taxes that need to be paid, and so we need to delay the closing for three weeks. And by the way, this is the owner. The owner says, by the way, I'll pay the $20,000 for the survey and the, and the taxes, the back taxes. So we picked up $20,000. We went to the close that we went to the close that day. You know, I had a checkbook, I think. And uh, I really didn't know exactly how much money we had. But without, without, without any really exact knowledge of what was happening there, you know, the guy who was our realtor, just out of the goodness of his heart, he didn't know our situation. He didn't know what we had or didn't have. He says, he says I believe in what you guys are doing so much. You know, I'm going to take $1,000 less than I would have taken, so I'm going to give you a thousand of off of my commission. We wrote the check, went home, contacted our, our bookkeeper, and I said, hey, we wrote the check for X amount. How much money do we have in that building account? And they said, I think we, have tw we had $21 left in that account. $21. The next year... Now, I want to talk about some of the wonders and signs and things that God did, because some of these are just bizarre, and some are, some are amazing, and some of these are like, what, what are you doing, God? But just ways that God just showed us he was with us. 1994, we had, this was just land here. It had been a cornfield, and it was just rocky, dirty, whatever ground, and we were just, you know, we said, hey, let's all plan for this Sunday. We're going to go out there. We're going to walk the grounds. And we're going to just pray. We're going to pray over that land of future ministry. And all the people are going to be impacted. And all the people are going to get saved. Let's just go out there and let's just, let's just walk the perimeter of this thing. So you got women with their strollers walking over this rough ground, you know. And we got people just walking around. 150 people just going around and around for half an hour for some, an hour for others. And while we're doing this, two bald eagles come right over top of us. And they're just kind of circling over, over top of us the whole time, and someone was saying, hey, I think this is like a sign from God. Isaiah 40, 31 says, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. If you've been in this for over 30 years, you know why we needed that verse. The next year, we had our first service on the land. Again, there was nothing here but dirt, you know, we had 320 people, 325 people that came out for a service on our land. Now, that summer was really, 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 really hot, and it was, all, it was a drought going on. And so all the dirt was just dust. And the sky was bright, bright blue when we started the service. And then as the service went on, there was two thin clouds right above us. And those two clouds were, color, were, were covered with the colors of a rainbow, for 20 minutes, we had a rainbow right over top of us as, I, as we worshiped together and worshiped you know, on our, our land for the first time. At that time, just people started being moved by God, and they started giving you know, additional pledges and so forth during that time. On the next year, November 24th, 1996, um, we had been told... We know why the, you know, we've been told by the community, the reason that contract fell through before you guys is because they perked the land and it, the land doesn't perk. Now you have a perk as a, they dig these holes and they pour water into them and there's something about how fast or slow that water goes through that allows you to build on the land. And so we needed, 
I think we needed four good holes in order to be able to build on this land. And all the, all the people had been yelling at us at the, uh, at the community input meetings. They were furious with us because we'd never, we hadn't even dug a well yet, nor had we perked the land yet. And they're like, why are you so nuts to, to buy this land when you don't even know if it perks if it, or if it yields water? And so we prayed. We spent, it, as a church, we prayed for 24 hours. And the, the county officials came out, and they dug 12 holes, and they poured their water in the holes. And they called back and said, you guys must have changed the soil here because all 12 of them passed. Every one of these things passed. Every one of them passed. The next year. Now, the community had been telling us in feverish ways that they, we're going to suck all the water out of the ground and nobody around here is going to have any water. They, don't even, they said, we don't even wash our cars out here. We don't have any water out here. You know, we have people that are getting 1.5 uh, gallons per minute. You know, we're not, you know, it's very rare that you're going to get more than three or four or five gallons if you drill well. So you're probably going to be drilling lots of wells and you're not going to get enough water. And we're thinking, I don't even know how much water we need. You know, God just told us to come here. You know? And so we thought, maybe, maybe we need seven or ten gallons. And so we prayed. We prayed as a church. And we had the guys come out and they were drilling their holes. They said, I think this is the place it should be. And if you go out our land, if you look towards Bel Air Road, there's a cross kind of under the trees. That's where we drilled our hole. That's where we drilled our hole. We put the cross there to remember that's where, where it is. I got a call from, from the guy after we had drilled the hole, and I could hardly hear him. And he said, you'll never need to drill again. You're getting, and I couldn't understand it, but I says, you're getting over 15 gallons a minute. And I said, are you saying 15 gallons a minute? And he said, no, I'm saying you're getting over 50 gallons a minute from, this, from what we just drilled. Impossible, except God wanting to show his favor, wanting to show us this is where you're supposed to be. How did God provide for us? I mean, I was going back through some of the campaign materials that we have and the slogans and so forth. In 1992, one of our campaigns, we, we, we made this commitment in, in the letter that we sent, and this is really consistent with what our heart is. We asked the people, we said, look, we're not asking, we're, the quote is, not equal giving, but equal obedience to God's voice. Not equal giving, but equal obedience to God's voice. And we've always asked the people to do that. We've never told them this is your fair share or whatever. You know, We've always said, would you, as a steward of whatever God has given you, would you just ask God, what does he want to do? What does he want you to do? We're not asking for equal giving. We're asking you that we want to all say we did, we obeyed, we followed what God asked us to do. And that was our... That was our heart, and that has consistently been our heart. Um, in the campaign that we had three years later, uh, we had 120 families that pledged over a three-year period $600,000 at a campaign banquet that we had. Um, people did incredible different, thing, <laughs> different things. We, there were, someone gave a, a wedding ring. People gave stocks. People made pledges. Kids made pledges. There were kids who were like going out and like, I'm going to collect, you know, metal and you know aluminum, and I'm going to turn that into cash. I want to. I want to give that. We had people who said we had one couple that said. I remember him saying it because it was up in front of it. It was at a banquet we had. He said, this is kind of embarrassing. He says, my wife and I don't have any money to give. He said, but there's that smoking money that we have. And we're going to stop smoking. And the money we save from the cigarettes, that's what we're going to give to the campaign. I mean, people were just wanting to be what God called them to be and do what God had called them to do. Someone gave five acres uh, that was valued at 
$30,000. Now fast forward uh, to 2000. In the, year, in the year 2000 is when we started to build the building. It was going to take a good year, maybe a little bit longer than a year, to actually prepare the ground, put in the, in the foundations, and build the structure. So we actually started building in, in the year 2000. In 2001, we, had, we, were, we were told that we were targeting, you know, that we want to get in by September, the beginning of September. We want to kick off this, that year, you know, in our new building. And so September is when we think, okay, we're going to be in the building September. So in the summer before that, you know, people had made pledges and they just, you know, were just saying, hey, everybody, you know, we're praying, you know, if, try and bring that in if you can. And we found out that summer that there were three major gifts that people had made. And each of those three said to us, we're really sorry, we cannot, we cannot give what we pledged to give. We can't give that. And assuming everyone else gave what they said they were going to give, assuming regular tithes and free will offerings and things just came in as they normally do, assuming all that, we were going to head into September at the opening of that building $135,000 short. $135,000 short. I mean... I was losing sleep, to be honest with you. I was like, I was sweating it, you know, and I was thinking, because we had had our opposition from the community and people had, you know, tried to keep us from building because they just wanted to be a cornfield here, you know. And I'm like, I'm just, my mind is at wit's end. You know, I'm like, $135,000, and our people are already being as generous as they can be. Lord, how are you going to, how are you going to do this, you know? I was just seeing, you know, uh, headlines in my mind, like church defaults on first day of opening or something like that, you know. And I'm just like, Lord, what are you going to do? So we went to the church and we said, church, we need to pray. We need to pray. And the day that we shared that with the church, there was a visitor there in the church that day. And uh, one of our pastors, Rick, Rick Marsh, is the one who kind of shared what was going on. And that visitor came up to Rick Marsh and said, uh, I was I was really moved by what you guys are doing, and I just want to you know I just want to I just want to respond to that. And so she reached in her pocket and pulled out fifteen one hundred dollar bills. So she gave a thousand five hundred, and she said, "And I'm not done yet." She came back to Rick's house later that week, and she said, "I work for a situation where where I help investors with their money, and there's an investor who's making too much money; they're going to be bumped into another tax bracket, and so here's a check from him for twenty-seven thousand dollars." Um, we moved into our our building in November. Uh, still giving building campaign messages, I think, because we, we still were work, working towards this close. But, you know, when we got to September and they, they pushed us back two months, they said, you know, we're not ready. We're still building, and so it's going to take a while. And, and, in fact, you can't even pay on your loan yet because we haven't paid down all the people who are building your building, so it's going to be a while on that. So in November, we moved into the building. In December, we met with the bank officers, and they said, you know what? You guys are really neat people. And so the loan agreement that we've already kind of drawn up and so that we all agreed on, we just want to drop your, your interest rate like 1.5% off of off your interest rate. You know, so they, I mean, that is huge. That's a huge amount. Not a quarter percent, not an eighth of percent. 1.5%. I said, We're just, let's, let's just rewrite this loan. And we didn't have to pay until January. And we ended up December, we had $3,000 in the bank. That's what we had. And somehow, by the grace of God, we have never been late on a payment. We've always been able to pay at least what they've asked us to pay. And sometimes we've paid down things in advance, further out, for 20 years. Through COVID, <laughs> through changes in leadership, through all the things, through the faithfulness of God and the generosity of God and his people. God has, God has brought us here. Our mission 
on the, on, the, on the materials I saw here in 2000, it says, our mission is to bring about an ever-increasing desire for God through the proclamation of the gospel, establishing people in the gospel, and helping them apply the gospel in their daily lives. You know, we had the same heart as those earlier founding parents and people and singles and so forth who were making this happen before there was anything, anything in the ground, before there was any building. Still, Lord, we want an ever-increasing desire for God and the proclamation of your gospel, establishing people in the gospel and helping them apply the gospel. You see, what had happened in our mission statement from here to here is nothing at the heart of it, but a growing understanding that it's the gospel that transforms lives. It's the gospel that saves people, and it's the gospel that transforms our lives. And so learning about the power and centrality of the gospel was really the only change is we had a greater understanding of what God wanted us to be about. We're going to be about the gospel. We're going to be telling you the gospel. We're going to help you to apply the gospel, believe the gospel, and be transformed by the gospel. And the big idea, again, is remembering God's truth and wonders promotes faithfulness and hope in God for 30 years. Some of us would think, like, Lord, we've been doing this for 30 years. For 30 years. But you know what the blessing of these 30 years, this yearly time that we have, is that we have to go back and say, why are we doing this? Why are we in this? And whose money is this anyway? And why is my life here? And what is this church supposed to be about? And we're forced to, to you know, it's, to retell the stories again, we're to reevaluate why are we doing this? Every year we have to come back to this again and say, okay, let's just walk it out again. Lord, why? And what have you done? And how have you led us in this? And remembering God's truth and the wonders promotes a faithfulness and hope, a confident expectation in our great God. And so in this psalm, we see that we're to recall for ourselves, we're to retell it to the future generations, and we're to remind ourselves for our faith. In verse 7, well, just before 7, it says, Arise and tell it to your children, verse 7, so that they will set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments And that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. You know, God wants us to have a confident expectation of who he is and what he's doing. And the way we do that is we go back again and we say it again. We tell it again. Isn't that what we do in the dark times? Isn't that what you do in the trials of your life? You go back to what God said and you remember the testimony of how God has has been faithful to you and provided for you and cared for you. That's what we do. We go back and say, Lord, remind me again what you said, what you promised, what you told me to do. And then remind me of your wonders. Remind me of your testimony. Tell it to your children so that they can set their hope in God and not forget the works of God resulting in keeping his commandments and not be like those who, who forget the past, who forget what God has said, who forget what God has done. And what happens then, it says, you'll be like the fathers who were stubborn, rebellious, their heart wasn't steadfast, and their spirit was not faithful to God. Beyond the building campaign, beyond what God has called us as a church to be, together to accomplish his purposes. This needs to be our lives for ourselves, for our kids, for the generations to come. As long as I have breath, as long as I have a voice here in this church family, I'm going to point us back to these things again and again and again because I want us to hope in God and I want our spirit to be steadfast and I want this church to be grounded and centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ and that's what we've sacrificed for all these years. 
We want to be a beacon of light. It doesn't matter how dark it gets in our communities or in our nation. The gospel is more powerful. God's ways are better. And they'll prove it time and time again. And I want to be a part of that. And I want you to be rich in heaven because you're part of it too. I want you to, I want you to, to look back on these days and say, that was hard. <laughs> that was challenging. But we threw in our lot together. Weak people, not, not a wealthy people, not a, an impressive people in one sense. But a mighty people because we have a mighty God. A people that experience the blessing of God, the provision of God. Sometimes at the last minute. Sometimes at the last moment. But God is working and has been working in our lives. Worship team, you can come on up. You know, we, we modified our, our vision statement one more time. In the, two, in the 2020s, we, we rewrote it a little bit differently. We wrote it this way. We said, we exist to glorify God by making disciples of all peoples with the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. In our vision statement, we want to be a church where spiritual growth leads to missional living. And I want you to see that the, the heart of that is the same as it's been from the 19 beginning, 1990s. We've had the same passion for God, understanding that he wants us to be used in transforming lives. But I love that we said he's, we're about making disciples of all peoples now. We've, we've extended our vision and our understanding of what God's called us to to all kinds of people groups now. And that's why our hand is in ESL and Latin ministry here locally, you know. That's why, you know, we have flags up on this wall here and we're supporting people who are, who are reaching into unreached people groups who don't have the gospel at all. We're, we're, we're ascending and a, and a praying and a, uh, preparing workers for the gospel for all peoples. And we understand it's, at the, it's because of this gospel that has transformed our lives. We want our church to be about these things still. And we're based in this place because of his wonders and his good things. So if you're listening to this and you've wondered, you know, is God alive? Is God real? Does God still do things? Is, is he still wonder working? Is he a God of miracles? I want you to hear these testimonies and say, yeah, God's alive there. And I want that to stir your spirit so you anticipate God speaking to you and God doing things in your life and God doing things in this church and the youth and in our lives. And I want God to really continue to, to, to fan that flame so that we see even greater things in the future. And we've seen how God has used this church. But if you don't know Christ... If that gospel is just a word to you and you haven't understood that, you know, what, what we saw in Psalm 78 is, you know, we are a rebellious people. We are a hard-hearted people. We are people who drift away from God. We are people in need of a, of a gracious God. That's exactly what we have in Jesus Christ. The Bible says even when we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. He came to seek and to save each one of us. He came to be a savior for you. And if you've never put your hope in him, if you've never trusted in him, know this, that God at his core is a gracious and merciful God who longs to be gracious to you. But he will be gracious because of his son, Jesus and if you will acknowledge your need for a Savior, if you'll say, I need, I need you, Lord. I need you to save me, and I need you to lead my life. I need you to, to fill me and help me in my life. If you, if you say that, if you understand that God sent his perfect son to live a perfect life, to be the substitute for you, if you would put your hope and trust in him, he died for you on the cross. He was buried, and so that God would make it very clear to us that he was satisfied he raised him from the dead on the third day.
There's nothing more exciting than knowing him. There's nothing more fulfilling than living for him. Being his steward. <laughs> you know, living for his purposes, his glory. If you've not put your trust in him, let me encourage you to put your hope in him. And to believers, we can get so lost. We can drift so far if we forget to recall who he is and what he says, what he's done. To retell the story once again to each other. And then to remind ourselves, this is why I'm living. This is what my life is about. To know him and to serve him, to, to experience his life. This is what it's all about. And how that is best reflected beyond a building campaign, beyond a building season, is a call that he's made to us in this communion time. Because he says, I want you to remember me. I want you to remember who I am, and I want you to remember what I've done for you. And he sees the power of that so, so, so importantly for us because without regular remembrances and retelling of the story, we're going to drift. So don't check out because you know what we're going to do. This isn't just some spiritual exercise we go to monthly. This is a moment for you to freshly engage with your God. We practice open communion here at Grace Community Church. If you have put your hope and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, this time is, a is, a, is, is for you to retell yourself the story, to remind yourself, Lord, without you, I'm wayward. I'm lost. I'm sinful. I fall. I stray. But you, God, you're patient. You're gracious. You invite me. And so we're going to sing a song here. We're not going to take the elements quite yet because I want you to just reflect what he's done for you. And if you're in your heart, you've strayed from him. Or if, you, or if there's sin that you're in your heart, you're, you've, you've entertained and you're holding on to, I want you to really consider turning from that and repenting of that and turning your heart back to the one who loves you best. So we're going to sing a song. I'm going to come back. We're going to take our elements and we're going to leave praising God. So.